I don't, uh, Andrew, you can start uh, recording if you would. Um, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the minds you've given us, for the word, the presence of your scriptures in our language, um, and the centuries that have gone before us as people who have sought you have found you. We'd ask that you would help us in that way this morning. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, I, as you know, some of you came to a summer Bible study we had in our backyard, uh, survey of the Old Testament in four weeks, a, a rash, a rash plan. I made it. Um, but um, one of the things you realize is you can't talk about everything in four weeks for the Old Testament. And one of the things I remembered skipping over was Joshua 32, not Joshua 32, Joshua 24, uh, Joshua's last message to the people of Israel before they settle into the land, basically settle into the uh, conquest or the land of Canaan. It's famous because people like having it on their little, uh, I don't know if you grew up in a Christian home, but back in the day, there was a little bread loaf. Did you ever have that? Little ceramic bread loaf with a slot in the top and Bible verses. That, like a trivial pursuit game, but it was, well, not a game. You, you had this on your table because you wanted to have verses coming at you like fortune cookies regularly. Um, and... Uh, and of course, people always like to have, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I think it may have even been on the side of some of those bread loaves. Comes from this passage. But something far more dark is going on in this passage than the charming, you know, Joshua's family serving the Lord. The problem is not Joshua's family. I hope it's not yours either. The problem is the rest of the people of Israel. Joshua has given them a recounting of what has just happened in their recent military history. And by the time he gets down to verse 14, and this is right at the end, this is the last verses of the book. And Joshua is what, 110, something like that? 110 years old talking to the people. And I want you to notice the things he says and what he, how he deals with them. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if you be will, unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's the, there's the money uh, quote right there at the end. 
For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the, what comes before is a little disconcerting to the Southern Baptist child who's finally reading his own Bible. Who was I talking to? Was it last night, Riley? We were talking about going, coming across certain passages of Scripture for the first time. Or maybe it was somebody else. I don't remember um, whether uh, that was the case. Having to deal with certain dark elements in the Bible. This is a pretty dark passage. It's strong. It's clear. You don't think that if you grew up with Bible story and flannel graph, or you grew up nowadays, it's with Veggie Tales, even if Veggie Tales are watched nowadays, are they? Do people still do this to their children? Bad people? Um, which, which, you know what to do with kids' stories. I, I guess they actually have a story in Veggie Tales about David and Bathsheba. Is that correct? Um, and I would have thought that would not have been broached, but they did. And since they didn't broach it by, you know, addressing it, they changed it. And that's what got left out. And every once in a while as an adult, even maybe in your 50s, you're sitting there reading the scripture and you find that passage where God waits at an inn to kill Moses after he sent him to Egypt to kill him. You go, what am I doing in this book? What's going on in this book? I always thought that the Jews coming out of Egypt, they're all dressed like Bedouins, of course, in all the pictures. And so there are always these noble Bedouins walking across the sands of the, of the dried up Red Sea and doing all the right thing. And there's the cloud of the Shekinah glory. And they're all good. And then you find they've been hauling the gods of Babylon and Egypt around with them. You know, because you got to have your gods. You got to. And, and, and maybe not for long because you never know what kind of cool gods you're going to pick up from the Amorites in the land. These are the people elect of God. Joshua was looking at them going, oh, you guys are just awful. You're awful people. Because I have to say to you, after all this, are you, are you going to put away the other gods? With that, that phrase, serve him, fear him, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And in case you didn't realize you have to do this too, put away the gods. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about our own, our own idolatries. And it's not because... Idolatry for us is TV and automobiles or whatever it is, good bandwidth. Um, idolatry has always been the service of self, covetousness, which is idolatry. All idolaters, people who bowed down to idols, were bowing down to idols to get something from the gods in favor of their life. Okay? Now, we might not have the metaphysic that bows down to Baal or, or Dagon or something, but we still got that concept of getting stuff for our life. We've been told that capitalism will bring it about, and I like capitalism. It works pretty well. And it isn't a false god, but we still bow down. We have to choose what we're serving. 
And we have to think of it in terms of what, does the, what do these words mean? Fear, sincerity, faithfulness. And if you, I, as you go on in your life, and you will go on in your life, and you will, you'll say, you know, All Souls Christian Church was fine while it lasted. But let's, uh, we're, gonna, we're moving. We're moving to Bozeman, or we're moving to wherever, and we're going to find another church. Watch out for people who start talking around the word fear. You know, really, it means a sense of awe. Eh, it means scared spitless. It means terror. And it is the terror. And I, what I want to tell you is I want to suggest some concepts out of this passage that we don't normally think of with our God, but we get spoiled. Our, you might say our ability to do what God asks of us is spoiled because we don't think that. We don't think the fear. Now, we all know we should be sincere, right? Nobody, anybody objecting to that one? In all sincerity, that you actually, actually believe it. Now, you live with yourself. You know yourself. You study yourself. You got some of us fooled. Some of you are maybe realizing that you are fooling people about how sincere you are, or you don't realize the Christian life is a greater degree of belief than you've attended to. And faithfulness. How long? You don't want a husband or a wife suggest to you that the faithfulness of this moment is, well, you know, we, we'll just have to wait and see. You don't want to wait and see about faithfulness. So we know that it's a darker... You're a human being meeting with the living God. That's what you set out to do. You're one of those rare people. They're very, there are fewer of you than there are COVID patients, okay? The Christians are just rare. We're a rare disease. We have decided we're going to seek our God. And this is the God we find. I hope you didn't find another God that you called Jesus. People have designed other gods and called them Jesus. But this is the one we deal with. And we have to put away the other gods to get at this. And, and you'll notice that he keeps saying this through this passage, and serve the Lord. You're serving other gods or you're serving the Lord. Another thing you need to watch out for it says at the end, choose this day whom you will serve. If you're not going to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And it's not so much that we're, it's trying to be an altar call. You know, I, I was uh, telling the heralds uh, during the break, I grew up a Southern Baptist. And uh, I can remember white knuckling it on the pew in front of me to keep from going forward as they sang whatever song they sang. Well, they were a little more inventive. It wasn't always that. It was usually something emotional, and I'm usually, you know, uh, trying to chain myself to the mast. Um, we're not trying to get people to think that anyone says, choose this day. It's kind of inevitable that you choose this day. Not choosing has chosen this day. To not pick, oh, I don't know really if Jesus is really my cup of tea. Okay, fine, but you've chosen. 
you are now going to fall into one of the other categories. You are going to have an inertial force in your life that is religious in nature. Okay, you, you have, you, to, for you to get up and do anything in the morning, after this day, if you said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure about Jesus, is going to be serving one of the gods. Now, you have a choice on the gods, and, and you're, you're very interesting people, and so all the people that didn't choose Jesus Christ. Now, I apologize for those of you who are a more reformed stamp, and I keep saying choose. I apologize. I'm that sort of person. It looks like we chose. We'll put it that way. It looks like we, we either chose or didn't choose, and when we don't choose our God, we will choose a different um, theology, basically, a different, a different religion. <laughs> and I found it, as I was looking at this passage, I found it really interesting that he gives two categories. Whether it's the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. That's kind of what we do. We either pick the excitement of the trendy, or we pick the tradition of the Orthodox. Good Orthodox Babylonian Belmarduk religion. Old-timey stuff. Because that's what he means when he says the land beyond the river. It's beyond the Euphrates. And now, they just had come out of Egypt, so it's not beyond, but it's not beyond the Nile. He makes the distinction earlier in verse 14. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. So Egypt was a, a, a halfway. This is Abraham left the Mesopotamian Valley in the early 1800s B.C., 19, mid-1900s, thereabouts, 1952 B.C., and since then, the Jews have been a Babylonian-rooted people traveling through um, the Middle East. And he says, your fathers served these other gods beyond the river. You can choose whether you're going to serve those, good traditional religion, or something that you pick up right now. Now, I don't want you to confuse. I'm not saying that that any Christian religious behavior that is more traditional or more trendy. I know dear believers who belong to traditional churches. I know dear believers who belong to happening, happy, clappy, heavy baseline churches. So the Lord loves them. The Lord accepts their worship. But we also know that wherever we, any of us make errors, here at All Souls, the Happy Clappy, or the Deeper Walk uh, Orthodox. In many ways, we make them because of our connection to the tradition instead of the God, the trendiness instead of the God. And instead of tradition or new, we want to have it be true. I want to have the people who sing a worship hymn and put one hand in the air. I guess some of you do that. One hand in the air, two heads in the air, jump a few pews. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we, 
we're all about. When you're talking to an Anglican who's, you know, got everything, I have a brother in not a brother in law, nephew in law who's an Anglican vicar. Great fellowship with the guy, Daniel Newman, some of you know him. Um, and because he knows Jesus Christ and he knows that what's, that's what he's about, that's what his inertial force is. Oh, he likes the robes way too much. But God will correct him on the last day. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't want to, I'll turn aside, I won't want to watch. We are, we are moved by things that aren't entirely by our God. And we, I, I want to be sure that as you pursue God, you're going to be at different points right now about where you are in the pursuit of the true God. I want to encourage you to take the next step and accept some, you might say, degree of existential crisis in your worship so that, that you will know that you're stepping into an area you actually might not even want or, or are a little undone by. When you serve the Lord, serving is that pursuit of, the desire to please. It's not just doing good. People were serving the other gods, whatever sacrificial system, whatever religious obligation, whatever um, uh, task you did. That was in service to the God, and Yahweh expected service as well. So Joshua is trying to give them this sort of this pep talk, this ultimate draw a line in the sand, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people felt, you know, just jump right at it. You know, it's, it's okay, all right. We know what the kids in Sunday school class, what's the, always the right answer? Jesus. No, it doesn't matter what the teacher says, Jesus. People are watching Joshua, 110-year-old guy, give him his talk, you know, just told him all about their military conquest and how God did this and that for them. And he said, okay, everybody, make a choice. Is it going to be Yahweh or is it going to be the other ones? And they say, and the people answered, far be it from us. I, that's a bad start. That's a bad start. Far be it from us. I can tell you're lying because your mouth is moving. That we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out. And they start to sing their catechism. This is God that led us out of the land of Egypt. Remember when Aaron um, made the golden calf? And when Moses came down from the mountain, there they are worshiping the golden calf. Things had changed in a few days since he'd been away. And what had Aaron said about the golden calf? This is the God that led you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, the catechism always works. You can say it about any lump of stone you bow down to. This is the God that led you out of the land of Egypt. Well, they're able to say it. Yes, God, the Lord God, and they, this is Yahweh. For it is Yahweh, our God, who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Oh, man, you can't ask for better than that. And if your kids said it to you, I don't know if you're a catechizing family, 
ask the catechism question. And they go, yes, Father, this is the God that led us out of the land of Egypt. And Joshua is a little different than you. Instead of giving him a gold star, Joshua says to the people, verse 19, you cannot serve the Lord. You, you cannot serve the Lord. Now listen to the punch in the face. Joshua has just said, I want you to choose, and then you're going to pretend to choose, far be it from us. And we all recognize that lie coming out of their mouth. And Joshua sees it too, and he says, no. Instead of jumping with eagerness at a person making a profession of faith. You ever do that with your kids when you're leading them to Christ? You realize, I don't know if they're saved. We're going to wait and see. We're going to wait and see if the Lord changed their you know, wicked little heart. And if it did, I'm going to really consider they have passed from death to life. But until they do, kids are always wanting to say the right religious thing to get in on the good side um, of parents. One of one of our one of our nephews, in a, a fit of animus for a, a niece, claimed that she wasn't. She was like one, that she wasn't even a Christian. And uh, parents stepped in and said, well, you're not a Christian either. <laughs> you know? Well, that wasn't the point. The point was to make you be aware that this child who's getting all the attention on her, on her birthday is not a Christian. <laughs> we like, some of you have posted things online, the things your kids say when they're getting all pious. Even adults in a nation of over a million people who've just fought their way to a kingdom, who are set apart by God himself to be the nation that he was going to work out his will in, and they, I don't know if you ever toyed with this notion that God picked the Jews because there were going to be a problem. He could have picked the Scots. We were there for him. We could have been pretty bad, but uh, the Jews really... You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And listen to this. And he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You don't hear that verse out of your little Bible loaf that's sitting on your table. You know, little Johnny's picking out, you know, the next verse. What's the verse, Johnny? He will not forgive you. Where, where does that go in your theology? No, we know it's a, a kind of a moment, a narrative in a moment in time where, where Joshua is saying, God's not going to forgive you. You're just awful. You're just awful. What does that do? Because we're tempted to, to have a theology of either or. Because it also tells us God is a merciful God, a loving God. He died for you in your sins. Forgiveness is there for the asking, Yes. And we tend to stress that one, so we always have a hard time with this one. But I think that's an error of how we create the category. 
we create the category like it has to be a statement where the opposite statement isn't true. I think they're both true. Now, you, whatever your theology, and I don't mean to step on any, any toes, but oh heck, let's just do that. You ever read that passage, Mark 3? Let me see if I go. I think I put my measurement thing there. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they said he has an unclean spirit. I've been asked more than probably any other question in my life, more than end times, more than relationships between men and women. Somebody is always just nervously going, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you think the unforgivable sin is? Because everybody is aware that's an outlier. That's something that Jesus says, the guy who died for you. The guy who forgives, he's gone, no, not here. Eternally unforgiven. What's that going to do to you? Especially when we treat the grace of God, the call of God, the, the, the good of God, the, the fear, the sincerity, the faithfulness, the, what we get to walk into in Christ... Um, we treat it unfaithfully. We're not faithful. We're not sincere. We don't put away and we don't serve. God, this is because it's not a theology we're following. This is someone. Um, have you noticed some people are taking it poorly? I don't know if you're a mask wearer or not, but when you're not, there are people who take it poorly, maybe even yell at you. There are people who get triggered by all sorts of things, offended. I know people who um, would be offended that we're having wine at the Lord's Supper. People get offended. And we're always conscious, oh, golly, we don't want to offend those people. Or be polite not to, you know, walk in love whatever the notion you may, might have regarding it, but I want you to know that God is somebody who has a lot more claim about everything that is, whereas that person who's getting their nose out of joint because you're not wearing a mask is 45 feet down the sidewalk anyway. And they don't own the sidewalk, nor do they own your face. But God does own the sidewalk and your face. And boy, is he ticked. He's a jealous God. He's a holy God. And when you don't do what he wants, he's really annoyed. And in some cases, even after the work of the new covenant, he's not going to forgive you for some things, period. We can talk about that later. But we all know. that we're suddenly moved by the presence of unforgiveness to really be conscious of our own holiness 
and of our plea to God and our crying out to God in repentance, we're conscious that it's not an automatic. We act in many cases like, shall we say, for a sin that grace may abound? And we do. We act like, you know, you know the little debutante 16-year-old difficult girl who can ask anything of her father, demand anything of her father, and she'll have it bought for her. We're those kind of people because we have a theology that has this cheap grace, this able grace right there. The wonderful thing about unforgiveness is it worries you. I think it was Riley I was talking to last night. We were talking about loss of salvation, different views, perseverance of the saints, eternal security, blah, blah. Um, it's good for you to be worried. I believe in eternal security. But if you're sinning, I want you to be insecure. Because what are you doing? It's the holy God, and he's a little upset the way you chose, or without having put your gods away, you were going to just live out your life the way you wanted to live it out. And expect him. If you do something wrong, you can just forgive, get forgiveness at the last moment. Never lose your salvation. If you believe that you could never lose your salvation, I'm one of those people. I want you to doubt your theology once you get into sin. Couldn't it be possible your theology is wrong? That you could lose your salvation? Well, any kind of thought like that which throws God's offense and degree of personal offense he feels before you. As Joshua says, if you forsake the Lord and serve other foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. There's going to be some action involved in this unforgiveness. If you act this way, the people said to Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. I think they were talking like King Jimmy English because part of the lie. Nay, forsooth. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. Do you realize what that means? When you push past the denial, Joshua said, no, you're not. And they said, no, we are. Really honest, mom, dad, I really love her. Ever know somebody who really loved somebody and really made the mistake of marrying them? You say, you made that decision. People stood in your way. People said, don't do that. You did it. Your witnesses against yourself, you have given a vow. It is better that you not vow than vow and not pay. Jephthah's daughter remembers that. Your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. They keep up in the ante. We are people of God who have made a claim on him. We have walked wherever you walked into Christ. Whatever church it was in, whatever uh, emotional moment, whether it was camp throwing a stick in a fire, whether it was walking down an aisle, whether it was praying a prayer beside your own bed by yourself. You all walked into Jesus Christ. You have chosen who you are going to serve. And even then, he said, 
Then put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, if God says he's not going to forgive you, what are you going to do? Well, my theology, and I mentioned the, just as a warning sign, I, I, I believe that God is mutable in his intentions, not in his character. He's unchanged in his character, and he's mutable in his intentions. When he's not forgiving, you'd think of uh, the passage, what is it, in, in um, Exodus, where people worship the golden calf, and God says, okay, done here. I'm going to destroy them all. Moses, I'm going to make the people out of you. And Moses pleads with him, and God repents of the evil he intended to do to the Israelites. The wonderful thing about our God is that he will not forgive us, but he will change his mind. So when you realize that God's react because he is holy, because he is jealous, or do you want to say, oh, he's not that holy and he's not that jealous, so he will forgive us just sort of automatically because that's part of our theology. Christianity is based on forgiveness, but it's based on you going to the bad place. You were by nature children of wrath. By nature. God was ticked with you. He, hell's designed for people like you. Well, hell was designed for the devil and his angels, but, you know, and people like the devil and his angels. But he changes his mind. That's what mercy is, the change of intention. We have a God who is a merciful God, which means that he didn't want to forgive you earlier. What are you going to do? The benefit of this is it changes how you get on your knees. Instead of that casual, okay, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I did a bad thing. Golly, I'm such a bonehead. We talk about it as a mistake. We talk about, oh, you know, good thing God forgives. If you have to step through this gate of his holiness, his jealousy, his lack of forgiveness of you, and you know that you have to offer him the blood of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for you. And the people said to Joshua, verse 24, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and, not statutes, statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a great stone and set it up there under the oak in the sanctuary of the Lord. I don't know what that is. I didn't know there was a tree inside the tabernacle. But I guess at Shechem there may have been an oak tree. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God, which they then proceed to do on the next page of your Bible. Because it's the beginning of the book of Judges. <laughs> it goes to Hades in a handbasket. 
Now, what I want you to think about is when we first personalize your pursuit of your God and realize you're choosing something that's either true, I think of it as that new, traditional, new, or true. You either got old school, trendy, or actual. Our God is actual. He is the God. I want you to realize that he is someone, not a definition, not a theology. He is someone, and it doesn't matter what the theology has said about him, the God will be who the God is. And if he says he is a certain way and feels a certain way, well, take it to the bank. Believe what he says. And be thankful that for all of God's frustration, remember he killed the whole world at one point. Maybe billions of people. More than a pandemic. A deep, deep flood. That everyone, maybe 10 billion people, died. Because he was frustrated with man. That's our God. That's what he does. That's the wonderfulness of his forgiveness. Because he, he is saving you from him. He's not saving you from Satan. He's not saving you from yourself. He's saving you from him. And he will change. He will have mercy. So what the question, uh, you know, you have going away to think about. Uh, I, yeah, as you know, have been to my house. You know, I have stones in my yard, big stones, boulders. In fact, they're all named. They have little brass plaques on them. My children think I'm out of my mind. They'll probably remove the brass plaques after I am gone. So I'm not recommending necessarily, though I, I, I appreciate standing stones, and I think everyone should have some. I don't want to have it be that kind of thing. Well, let's do that. Let's go get a stone that we commemorate for All Souls Christian Church and our faithfulness to the gospel, and we'll put it out front on the lawn. And it, Well, I don't mind if you do, but let's not get all pious about moving rocks around. But think of the rock, the stone, as a metaphor. It sits somewhere in your mind under an oak in the sanctuary of God as a witness of what you have claimed. Did you claim it? Did you run past the warnings? Joshua was saying there, I wouldn't do that so quickly. You're probably lying to yourself. I better have some way of reminding you that you did this. What do you have? Are you the kind of person that can honestly admit that, yeah, you did sign the paperwork to borrow that money for that car? Adults do that. They keep their word. They understand when their word is given. This stone, what's the metaphor for you and your God? What have you, what have you pushed forward and said, this is my moment where I bowed the knee to the living God? And I trusted his great mercy to forgive the unforgivable. We do not want to deal falsely with, your, with our God. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been very good to us. 
we'd ask that as we face up to the things that don't please you in ourselves, that we would understand the offense that it is to the maker of heaven and earth. We'd ask that you would forgive us and change your mind. Set it aside, the punishment we would receive. We'd ask that you would be gracious. And thank you for that, Lord, and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.